0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Bridge Podcast. Uh, This week it's James and I again and we're chatting to um, a friend of James called Tom Heesman. Welcome Tom.
1: Thanks Emmy. Good to be with you.
0: It's a pleasure. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, um, how you come to know James, um, what you do for a living and maybe a little bit about your family.
1: Absolutely. Um, I've known James for uh, too long. No, a long time. He's uh yeah, seven or eight years. He's uh we've we did ministry alongside each other for a little while in London. Um and uh got a lot of time for James. We, we we ran camp together. I think that was the highlight of our relationship, was leading the camp together for a couple of years, um and getting up to all sorts. So uh known James for a while. I'm married to Josie. We've got three kids, Eleanor who's four, Lily who's two, and Alfie who's seven months. So our life is mental. But um we're thankful for them and uh, they keep us busy but um, yeah we're in ministry in london southwest london in, in in wimbledon and we're enjoying it
0: so why don't you tell us a little bit go back uh, in your experience before we explore a little bit about your job now tell us about how and when you were brought up was church a part of your life how you were saved and how things moved on from there
1: yeah so um grew up with the blessing of parents who knew and loved the Lord and don't want to take that for granted. Mm. Um, And equally, that is not a boring testimony. Like I just struck preaching on Ephesians 2 the other week, thinking, you know, that passage from death to life by grace, you know, my situation was dead in my sin um, and then Christ rescued me. So whatever my testimony, um, even having Christian parents who taught me the gospel, that was still where I came from. by God's good grace so um thankful for that but thankful for parents who, who taught me the Bible and taught me to church little FIC church in Essex growing up um heard the gospel taught there and I think though a kind of big marker in my, my own kind of Christian journey is my parents got divorced when I was um about 10 and it totally rocked my world because um you know life was very settled and stable in this church and then for that to happen really threw me and I I wasn't converted at that point, I don't think, but it I think God used that in his mercy to awaken me to probably the reality of sin in a way, I hadn't kind of seen it. And also that I couldn't kind of ride on the coattails of my parents' faith, um, you know, it kind of jarred me awake to that, I think. So uh, in, in many respects, that was instrumental in me, beginning to want to explore things for myself and and, uh, and understand the gospel for myself. And then it was when I went to Keister, which was like the FIC annual conference, they used to run it in this um, place called Caster in Norfolk, absolutely freezing uh, on these Norfolk beaches. And a guy called Wes McNabb, who's now a pastor at Slade in, in, um, in London, he was leading the kids work there, I think, and I must have been 12. And I heard him do a talk. And I remember giving my life to Christ that night. So that was when God saved me that evening, um, under his teaching, I remember coming out in bits, just thinking, um, isn't Jesus wonderful? Um so thankful for Wes and his ministry. And then, yeah, just onwards from there in terms of the normal ups and downs of teenage life. Um, uh, university was a big kind of time in terms of formative and understanding more and growing as a Christian. Um, but,
0: but yeah, I, just to interject there, I, I know Wes actually quite well. So yeah. We're like contemporaries. We did beach missions, are called beach missions together. Yeah, yeah great. 18, 19, yeah. Um, and I led a camp. Uh, what a bridge camp in um, mm. in quinta and then Wes like coincidentally happened to be uh, leading uh, emw camp oh yeah yeah was yeah. next door yeah i'm just interested in, to go back a little bit to the expression you used about hanging on to your parents coattails in yeah. terms of um your own personal faith so maybe and you, you've just talked like uh, then saying you were converted when you were you were 12 which is young for sure but just talk a little bit maybe about that sense of um the difference between going to church having christian parents who were teaching you the gospel knowing knowing answers to questions you get asked at sunday school that kind of thing mm. but actually being a follower of jesus how how that worked out for you and you're obviously aware of that difference so it might be helpful to flesh that out a little bit maybe. yeah
1: that's yeah um I, i've got a killer quote and i can't remember who did it so i'll say the quote and then somebody can remind me um somebody said <laughs> I, I think it's probably says Lewis talks about suffering being the megaphone used to rouse a deaf world yeah, and true. um i can definitely th- i i feel like that experience in my life i can relate to that in the sense of life was comfortable existence you know we had a comfortable existence where we were in in Essex church life was you know you know we were a kind of core family in this church like you said like I knew all the answers to the bible quizzes we did um but I think the gospel hadn't penetrated my heart because I didn't you know I wasn't awakened to the reality of sin and a fallen world and a broken world even though that had been taught to me so often if I felt like it, it kind of required that to break in and kind of break the um uh the wall of my own idolatrous heart and i say that as a 12 year old you know also I kind of couldn't understand that conceptually then as a 12 year old but yeah it probably it probably took that um to to wake me up and snap me awake to to the reality of brokenness and therefore run to the one who can fix it
0: yeah no yeah that's great tell i mean we'll have lots of people who, who listen who will have you know, young kids that they're, they're trying to bring them up to know the Lord. People who are o- older kids who've got those challenges, and people who have kids who've kids who've who've grown up. You know, and we we often talk, don't we, about we try to disciple our kids, but ultimately, as you've said, it's it's coming from death to life yourself, mm-hmm. um, and, and coming to that point in the spirit working in your heart. So yeah, that's that's that helpful. Mm-hmm. Just talk a little bit then about growing up from twelve. I guess things are, are okay, but talk about the challenges maybe of being an older teenager, you know 15, 16, 17, going to uni, what, what that was like the impact that had on your on your faith and your, your your living your life as a Christian.
1: Yeah, I mean definitely late or kind of mid mid teens was just I look back on that season now and think on oh my days God was so gracious to me to keep me. Yeah. You know we sing that song. I don't know if you sing it, he will help me fast. Yeah. And I think that is totally my experience as a teenage guy where, you know, I look back at it now and think there were so many moments where I could have just packed it in and just gone the other way. Um, and I felt like I was walking a tightrope and sometimes it felt like I was slipping off the edge of that tightrope on the wrong side. And did you feel
0: gone. that at the time? Or you're saying you, you, um, you, I
1: think I see it in hindsight more so. So yeah. at the time I felt I didn't probably feel it quite so acutely. But certainly looking back now and, you know, with my own kids as well, you know, thinking about them, you know, I just think, um, yeah, it was that that felt like a kind of a cliff edge moment. But God was good in keeping me. Um, And then obviously, you know, it's the cliche, but university is a make or break time in some respects. And it certainly was for me, I think. And uh, God was kind in, you know, I got stuck into a decent church early on and then um, involved in CU and whatnot. and And that just ended up you know that opened that door to and that trajectory and that kind of god led me on there so it felt like my teenage years wasn't kind of rapid spiritual growth but was just kind of keeping going even though perhaps on the veneer it was the veneer of it was like oh he's you know he's kind of he's going on with the lord
0: yeah totally
1: and well but under the surface there was all sorts of mess but when i went to uni that was that was when god really started doing a work in my heart, I felt.
0: So. what did you do at uni what did you study
1: um i studied economics and management which if you ask me any question about economics, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't remember any of it. No. Um, so it, my university experience was, I basically poured it into CU and church. I absolutely loved it yeah. and, and some other stuff and sort of managed to blag my way through my degree, um, which was, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: kid who's grown up in a church context i think that sense of everything appearing to be okay to mm-hmm. everyone looking in to the act you know the turmoil or whatever that's inside is is really relatable for people um so it might be helpful if you if you talk about how how that was like resolved or not that that battle ever goes away i get that but how you um were more when you were closer in your relationship to the lord that Help close that gap between what people perceived and what you felt yourself
1: um i think probably it required um uh, elders in the church i was in like being willing to have difficult conversations with me yeah which at the time i found excruciating yeah. but were really good for me um you know and i you know i can remember specifically moments where you know i can remember the room i was sat in when I had conversation, you know, a particular conversation with a particular elder about something. And, um, you know, at the time it was really uncomfortable, but it was so good for me. And, but it didn't feel good at the time. It didn't feel good at the time, but I'm so glad he did. And yeah. and so those, you know, having those relationships and having elders who are willing to sit down with young people in the church and say, you know, it's not just a youth leader, but you know, it's a church family, right? Everybody's yeah. involved. So yeah. um, that, that was, precious although like you say at the time it didn't, it didn't feel like that although i knew i knew he was doing you know i was thankful for him even even though i found it hard um so those those kind of markers were good i think not not feeling like i was going it alone you know you at least got people looking out for you and knowing that they wanted to kind of hold you to
0: account yeah I, that, I think that's really helpful uh, actually um because i think a lot of a lot of churches or folks in churches are often not that keen on having those conversations yeah um but it's like it's really helpful mm. for you to testify to that being such a, a, a positive and mm. a, a good influence So brilliant Talk to us then a little bit about uh, post uni um uh, getting married maybe your job you go into post uni and ministry now at that kind of all those yeah. pieces fit together.
1: So I mean I, so like I said I studied economics at uni I did a couple of internships in financial sector, um, and hated it. (laughs) And so, uh, and at the same time, at the same time, I was exploring some other options. And I mean, people have been talking to me about ministry stuff since I was kind of 16, like, as in that, you know, they're just kind of suggesting that I maybe kind of, that might be something you want to think about. Even though, like I say, under the surface, when I was 16, there was no way that that was kind of like on my radar. Um, Did you have a
0: plan, Tom? Did you have a plan? Do you, do you think you were thinking like you know, uni, get a degree? Oh yeah, get a job.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. When I went, when I went to uni, when I started uni, that was definitely my plan: was get a degree, go and a
0: good job in the city, go and
1: become a millionaire, and yeah. then and then think about Christian ministry maybe a bit later on.
0: Yeah. Um, okay,
1: which is which is what, which is obviously bonkers. Like when you talk about it like that now, but. And again, why I'm so thankful, you know, those th- three years at uni were so formative because, like, God shattered that idol in a really helpful way. Um, and the, the kind of the option of ministry became more viable. And, uh, you know, I've shared elsewhere, like, the, the thing that God used outside of just regular diet of decent Bible teaching to really kind of steer me in that direction was reading um, The Shadow of the Almighty, which is Jim Elliot's little bio. Mm. Written by Elizabeth Elliot about Jim Elliott. And I remember reading it as a twenty year old being so struck and convicted by this guy who seemingly, you know, he if you've known anything about Jim Elliott, you know, he's kind of competent guy, could have done anything really, in, you know, or so people say of, of him. And he from the age of, you know, from a from the age of a teenager, he was saying, you know, I'm not doing any of that. I'm sh- I'm gonna go hell for leather on telling people about Jesus. Yeah. Um, And he was so caught up in wanting to reach the lost with the gospel, even willing to go to his death, obviously uh, at the hands of the Orcas in Ecuador. And I just, I remember poring over it and underlining everything in it because it's mostly his diary entries. And I couldn't believe that this guy in his 20s who had the world at his feet was willing to say no to that and take up his cross and follow Jesus even to his death. And that was absolutely the moment, reading that, where I thought, you know, this is. I, I feel like this is this is where God wants me. Not going to Ecuador necessarily, but certainly in kind of gospel ministry.
0: And what did you do with that? So when you when you had that like conviction, that sense yeah. of wow, this is something I is really charmed with me. Is how, how did you kind of process that next stages?
1: Um, I think that's when I was. That's when I just started talking about a pre- kind of gospel like a, a church apprenticeships. Um, I think
0: so the only re- I'm asking that question because lots of people will have the experience I guess of li- either reading something that like really affects you or um, hearing someone speak and go, wow, that's just like incredible yeah, yeah. and and have that feeling of I really want to do something with that yeah. but then for lots of people that just very quickly evaporates yeah um, exactly. so what 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 made the difference f- for you in that kind of of taking that on? Yeah. into into practical outworking.
1: Definitely talking with people. So not just sitting on it and then allowing it to filter away. So I think and this, you know, it's where I'm so thankful. And God's been I've talked about my parents earlier, God's been so kind in their lives in actually um they're both remarried to lovely Christian people and are both walking closely with the Lord now. Yeah. And you know, particularly my dad, I think just to be able to have a kind of kind of ongoing conversation with him as an as a young 20 something and to share with him look this is what i've been reading this is kind of how i'm feeling led and for him to fully back to kind of support that and say what a great thing like go for it like you know and not and not say oh maybe put that on ice for a bit while you go and go and work in the city um so so i think just in conversation with somebody um and likewise yeah, i I think that was around that time that i started dating my now wife and she was just God just graciously put her in my life at that moment where He was beginning to lead me in this direction, and she was so encouraging me to kind of pursue that as as the kind of direction for life in terms of ministry. Um, so I think just having those conversations with people, not not allowing it to be something that you just do yeah. on yourself, but um, it's in dialogue.
0: Yeah. So it's like you, you weren't passive. You 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 did something. You acted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On it. And then so where, where did that lead you then? Those conversations that that passion where did that lead you next
1: well i didn't really know where to go because i I, you know (laughs) i i there was there was yeah there was a like i was was involved in a church in southampton which kind of did a kind of apprenticeship thing post uni that i could have done i looked at doing some stuff with uccf but it was actually my well my girlfriend at the time and now my wife she um she wrote me a letter and basically said i think you should go and talk to richard coking up at dundonald church because you might
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so really, I blame her. Um, uh, I like because I think you know she said I don't know how she, she didn't she didn't know him from Adam, but she knew of him through somebody else, and said um, you know I think you might you know you might do well there, and you might learn lots of ministry, and kind of it might be a good fit. And so you know, not really no I didn't know Richard was apart from seeing him at the men's convention, and so um, I remember just I dropped I, consequently because I was fancied this girl, and I thought I better listen to her. I, I just don't dropped. I dropped Richard an email, and then um, ended up going to see him and, and came out of over meeting half an hour later with the next two years of my life sorted out because I was going to go and do an apprenticeship there. So um, and then the rest is history. So uh, yeah, it was really my wife's fault that I'm now here. But I'm thankful for that because it's been great. Yeah,
0: that's brilliant. So y- you do the two years? Yeah. What? what
1: did, then? did the two years? Um,
0: when was that? Sorry? that that? was
1: 2011 okay 2012 maybe um did the two years and i think they were i think what i really valued about that is that certainly doing a kind of ministry training thing here you get thrown in at the deep end so you know i was i think i was i was leading the 14 to 18 to work after a a couple of months and i basically did that for the two years and it just gave me a chance to cut my teeth in in kind of full-time ministry you know you're prepping talks every week um and it was just—it's a, a good way of seeing whether it's a good fit. And it's—it fu- was full on and hard work, and we got married halfway through that. So uh, that was um, hard for some of it because you know it was just ministry was full on. Yeah. But it was a good experience at the start, and that kind of paved the way to um, to future ministry stuff. So I was really thankful for those two years. Uh, we ended up then going off to college um, straight after that, even though at the time we were thinking about church planning with a kind of. Pioneer scheme down here, but for various reasons, partly because my wife wasn't that well. She had chronic fatigue off the back of glandular fever that she got a few years earlier. So our first year of marriage was actually pretty tough because she was she was pretty ill, um, and so consequently we thought actually good good time to go to college and uh, hopefully for her to get better and me to train. Um, so we did that and then ended up coming back to Dundonald uh about four years ago.
0: And that's where you are now. Which is where I'm now. Yeah. So what what's your what's your role in Dundonald now?
1: so i'm here now as one of four pastors um and th- there are four congregations as part of dundon but rather than having congregational pastors we we team pastor so we oversee a different sphere of ministry um so one pastor kind of oversees small group stuff and teaching material another does um, training and i oversee evangelism and our kind of strategy uh, across the church so i'm involved in all four congregations um, helping us to think about how we're looking out and reaching our community
0: helpful just to talk to us a little bit about how that works out day to day so yeah. what what type of things you're thinking about what you know are you looking to do as across the four congregations yeah. I guess some of it is like facilitation some of it is strategic some of it is operational yeah. and then also maybe thinking about how what's gone on over lockdown and that transition into, you know, back to in-person gathering and, and the changes there. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's, a, that's
0: a lot, I know you might not get through
1: all that. I'll, I'll talk so, and then you, you butt in if I've forgotten stuff. Um, so, I mean, 50% of my job is just bread and butter, pastoral work, so it's pastoring, church and preaching. And then, but but I've just got time set aside, more time perhaps than others might to, yeah. to think about evangelism specifically. In terms of kind of what I'm doing, when I first arrived, I think um, because there hadn't been anybody in this particular role, set role, um, to give the kind of the, the time to thinking about it. Historically, Dundonald's been really good at uh, kind of programs, events, courses like evangelistic stuff. So, run a big mission weekend at Easter, big kind of Christmas stuff, um, the Odyssey Christianity Christian explore course throughout the year, which is great. But I think. What we tried to watch tr- kind of what we tried to do in the first couple of years when i arrived is just slightly redress the balance and put a bit try and help encourage and equip the church family to actually do the task of going and telling the gospel as well um mm. so we're thinking all the time about our evangelized ministry being a twin track thing it's both inviting the community to come and see and it's equipping the church family to go and tell yeah. um and if you've got an overemphasis on one um then that's not necessarily ideal you just want to kind of you want a balanced diet of the, those two things uh, so i think to start with you know historically we've had a real strong emphasis on come and see stuff and we just wanted to try and put a bit more weight on equipping everybody to feel like they can go and tell mm. um, so we've been doing that the last couple of years and in order to do that we've like tried to produce little booklets just to help people start a conversation with somebody about jesus um we've tried to produce like two or three minute little training videos i think always with this go and tell stuff it can feel so scary
0: yeah.
1: for people they think you know there's no you know I can't how can I remember two ways to live I can't do that on the back of a napkin um yeah. you know I can't do I can't do a big bible study with somebody so we're just always trying to lower the bar and think how can how can I just start a conversation with somebody um so that that's kind of behind all of our thinking with this and uh, because we recognize that the kind of go and tell element is really important relationally um in order to then be able to invite people to come and see um, that they can come and hear a talk or come to a, a course or whatever. So we're just trying to think of those two things. And right. is,
0: that, is that the way you kind of, not prioritise it the wrong way, but kind of go and tell comes before, come and see? Is that what you're um, trying to do? So the, the come and see stuff is 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 always coming after, or is it not that clear course?
1: I think it's probably not that clear. I think they just both support the other, right? So um, you always we always want to have come and see stuff throughout the year, so that people
0: going are going all the time it's going
1: on all the time so that people the church family know there's always something i can invite my mate along to yeah, yeah. there's always going to be something this term that i can invite my mate to there's always going to be a course or series of sessions that i can invite somebody to if they're if they're interested enough yeah so which is that
0: helpful for the people who are going to tell because they've yeah. always got something in their mind about in this conversation does this thing yeah, yeah exactly I can, I can invite them to
1: yeah exactly um so we're always trying to do that but we're always also trying to equip the church to go and tell, because otherwise, we've got there's no one to invite to come and yes, see. So it's, yeah, totally. it's trying to do both that I guess there's different there's seasons where there's different emphases. So mm-hmm. um, like I said, two or three years ago, we went quieter on come and see because that you know, that had been such a big thing. And we really put our energy into go and tell. So we didn't run a mission one year, we just kind of produced these booklets and tried to train the church family in basically how to have a conversation with somebody. Um, and then actually going into September, we're about to move into a new building, obviously, mm-hmm. willing coming out of covid you know we'll probably put more weight on come and see event stuff you know people might be hungry for that so we're going to put more energy into that for a bit so you you, it does go in seasons but i think just having that that matrix gives us certainly a strategic level like we can have some sort of plan for the year and for, for a shape of the year as we think about evangelism rather than a culture of oh you know we'll just chuck some stuff at the wall and see what sticks um which might be what we attempt to do otherwise
0: yeah yeah how did you find the so if like a mission week is something you're doing all the time yeah and it's always it's always on your calendar and people always know what's happening was the resistance to drop that were people like but we always do that we can't not do that we we always do that
1: yeah yeah there, yeah there was um
0: so how did you negotiate that um <laughs> or did you just were you just pragmatic and like okay we're doing this because this is the longer term
1: yeah I think you're trying to train people as you go right so you're not so you're not just you're not just being a bulldozer and just saying well we're yeah. doing it regardless so we're trying to train people um and I think you know we all I don't think we ever totally dropped come and see events like we'd, we'd, there'd always be something but it just might be you know we're not running a you know 12 event admissions week this year yeah. we're just going to do one or two things and doing really well but we're going to really invest in training. So I think it's just, it's just being fast sensitive to that, I guess, as you go, but... um,
2: I do also wonder if part of the culture at Dundonald, one of the the best things about working with Richard is the constant change. It does make it easier for some way in church family to be like, oh, there's a new mad thing we're doing this week. You know, that there is, it's the excitement of that, You know, different personality types will yeah. jump all over, but I think that does help as well. Because it's new, yeah. Because if if you can get your congregation used to the fact that because no church is perfect, church will always be changing and trying new things. Mm. It's it's mm. a healthy culture to have. Yeah,
0: know that's good. Yeah, yeah. Moving on a little bit, let's think about your role in terms of you. I suppose you've you've talked about equipping people to do personal. Um, or, or helping people with personal evangelism mm. in their in their own kind of relational contexts. But maybe thinking about like growth groups and you've touched on this as well, a little bit church-wide mm. um, strategies and things that you've tried and found useful.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, we, we tried we tried to do a bit of stuff of kind of missional evangelism stuff within small groups and I think it's not gone very well. So I think we found right. it hard yeah. to do um, in, the, do in the, the last couple of years. Uh, I think because I think the danger with small groups is that they become the one-stop shop for everything. And so it just c- communicates. It's very difficult for a small group leader. They basically sort of become a pastor of their little yeah. small group and they're trying to do everything. Yeah. Um, and therefore, nothing gets done very well. So I think we tried to do some evangelism stuff within them and they didn't really fly because, you know, they're kind of basically just trying to do a Bible study and pray and support one another through various life things to add on evangelistic stuff to that. Got like one layer too many for lots of right. groups i think um some some groups it worked right i think the biggest thing in terms of church wide is we're just trying to get people to church you know looking back over the last you know i mean pre covid looking back over the last two or three years i think everyone i think everybody who's got converted um have been coming to church on a sunday regularly for at least 3 months wow. So they might have started with a one-to-one or with coming to a a course or whatever or an event, but ultimately they then came to church and were just hearing a regular Bible teaching week in, week out, and we're just seeing the plausibility of gathered community week in, week out. And that's the means then by by which God's at work bringing people to saving faith. So I think we can sometimes think, oh, we need to put all this other stuff on and church just happens on a Sunday for the kind of church family And then when they become Christians, they'll kind of get plugged into that. But actually, so often, they're coming to church on a Sunday and that's the means by which they're getting converted because they're just seeing God's people meet and they're hearing the Bible talk. So I think we are often too slow to appreciate the evangelistic power of the Sunday gathering Mm. as a regular gathering. Um, You know, I've read a book, I can't remember what it's called, by Josh or called, and he talks about just the the, uh, the, the church on a Sunday being a living apologetic. So it's a good little phrase. It's your
0: first instinct when you're thinking about inviting you know someone who's completely unchurched um, in, in a conversation i guess most people's first instinct would to not invite them to a sunday service because it would be unfamiliar they wouldn't know what was going on the yeah. language might be over their head it would seem odd so you would tend i guess to start with things that are a lower tariff so like yeah. a, you know come for a coffee or go to a, a growth group so that's really interesting that. Looking at, that yeah, way.
1: and I think it's that's still true, that's still the case, though. You like it, probably ends up you start at a, a lower bar, um, but you're leading up to the point of saying, you know, all of the, the, the aim behind everything of come and see and go and tell is get them to church on a Sunday because I know that once they're in church on a Sunday and they've met people from church, they're welcomed in, it's it, it's then you know that's a, a pathway that yeah, like that is I mean, it's a bit more open up, I think, you know, and that is why we run we do try and run a termly or twice-termly, like, guest Sunday. So that is just an evangelistic talk. Um, it's a bit, you know, it's, it's just a bit more kind of friendly to the to the outsider. So it's just that's an easier invite to say. And oh, that's always on
0: your radar, isn't it, then?
1: It's always on your radar. Church family know it's coming up. Yeah. So that's a good entry point. And then once you come to that on a Sunday, if you're a guest, it's then easy to say, I'll oh, come back next week, because it's basically the same. The talk's a bit longer, but you know, it's basically the same thing. So it's just it's just trying to think through that kind of pathway for somebody guess. Like
2: and and as somebody sat through them as you know sat in the congregation for those guest sundays it also as congregation members gave us confidence to invite you know I mean, because you've been to one and you go, "All right, that's all right. I can invite a mate to this." There was something about yeah, the regular weird. pattern of it that made you, mm. you think, "Oh yeah, I could definitely bring my mates to this because yeah. I know Tom's preaching or whoever's preaching, and that will be accessible." This, yeah,
0: and that—that's a big part of it, isn't it? The confidence of your congregation to invite mm. and mm. say, "Look, this is going to be sound. You're going to yeah. enjoy it." Trusting mm. you, yeah, yeah, that's great. Brilliant. Why don't you talk to us about Passion for Life?
1: yeah um
0: explain what it is its, i mean its background and then how you're connected to that
1: sure i mean passion for life started back in 2010 as a kind of national um mission basically for churches across the uk and ireland to um to go on mission together for a season they did it in 2010 with a kind of number of like fairly big high profile events did it again in 2014 so lots of local churches 2014 was a bit more um localized so little churches doing stuff all over the uk and again for a a focused period of time in 2014 and then they're doing it again in 2022 um and the the kind of strap line is a month of mission and a life and a, a lifetime of evangelism so churches united for a month of mission and equipped for a lifetime of evangelism so it's not just a flash in the pan mission week that everybody's doing in 2022 is in the context of trying to equip and train the church and church family for, for, for evangelism more generally, um, uh, which I think is great. And I think, you know, so I'm involved at the level of uh, in London. So just helping kind of coordinate and champion it across London, um, which, I, which I'm enjoying. And I think it's interesting because initially, you know, just, just chatting to pastors over the last couple of months, certainly a few months ago, the thought of this kind of big national mission that you might want to get involved with, post-COVID, you know, some pastors like, hang on a sec, I'm, you know, I'm barely struggling to breathe at the moment. I can't, you know, we can't, you know, I'm trying to keep my church together at the moment because yeah. of, of COVID. I can't be thinking of, of that sort of thing, which is, is fair. Um, but I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that this is absolutely the right time for this mission, given the um, increased receptivity and, like, openness to to talk about these things, um, certainly in, in some areas, uh, and also, if not, you know, if we don't go and if we if we're not getting on the front foot in terms of mission and management now, then when will we ever do that? Um, because I think we've got a nation with you know full of people who are very confused and very unsettled and very um, unsure about where the history's headed, and uh, I think the the fields are ripe for harvest, um, and uh, the answer to um, things being difficult. In, in church church you know, over the last couple of years is not just to kind of hunker down and lock the doors and look inwards, yeah. but it's to look out and see yeah. people reach with the gospel. So yeah. I think it's a great great season for that. Um uh, Yeah.
2: So when is it, Tom? What month? You said it's a month of mission. When are we thinking? Or
1: well, it's 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 um it's sort of any time around March, April, Easter next year, basically. Um, and and the thing is, it's it's not a kind of fixed program, so it can be anything. So some churches will run a kind of full scale events week full of various things. Um, Other churches might just think, you know what, we just want to do one thing just to up the temperature in our kind of mission heat. So we're just going to, I don't know, start a door-knocking group or something like that, or we're going to do a holiday club for kids or we're going to run a thing for seniors, whatever it might be. It might just be just kind of doing one thing more. Um, And also, it's a good opportunity to work together with other churches. So just little clusters of local churches saying, look, let's just get together. And even if all we do is pray, (laughs) like let's just pray for for this mission season um it might be that we do some training together it might be even that we run an event together but let's at least get together to pray so you know we're going to try and do that here in this part of london there are other clusters all over london where i'm kind of working doing that sort of thing and i know all over the country so um and i think it's worth saying as well the national kind of delivery team for passion for life are putting loads of investment into producing some really top quality resources for the autumn that will just help um to, to help train people in in everyday evangelism, um, that are all just going to be freely available on the website. So, I'm excited for churches all over the UK just getting active in training for for speaking about Jesus um, with those resources that are going to be available. So.
0: Great, that's brilliant. Thank you. Why don't you give us a couple of two or three things we can pray for um, for you guys, uh, for you personally, or for Don Donald, and then um, we can we can pray for you on the Sunday.
1: Thank you. I was really convicted i was preaching on colossians 4 last sunday and um just on those few us at, at the start of colossians 4 where paul says devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that god may open a door for our message um that we may proclaim it clearly and uh just struck by the fact that we can be so busy about the task of evangelism in terms of doing stuff and um, producing materials and resources and training and running events and courses and all this who are which is all well and good and important as the word goes out but if we don't pray then who are we kidding yeah. um you know paul's crying out for them to pray that god might open a door so god is sovereignly at work as we go about the task of evangelism so um i felt struck by that so i guess you can pray for us as a church i'm just i'm starting a uh a little early morning prayer gathering on a friday morning starting tomorrow actually uh, after, after this recording um just for people who want to come and just pray like for god to open a door and so you might pray that as a church we become increasingly prayerful as we think about evangelism um and and that we'd kind of saturate our evangelistic initiatives in prayer and that god might see fit to answer those and seeing lots of people come to faith so you pray for that um and then please i pray for this new Like i mentioned we're kind of moving into this new building in september which like we're really excited for and thankful to God for the provision of um but you might, there, and there is a lot of interest in the community to come along. You know, just even just standing outside it last week, several conversations with people who live locally are like, "Yeah, you know, I, you know, I'd love to come along." But pray that it would go beyond that to not just being interested in a in a fancy new building, but actually seeing Jesus and
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: coming alive. So pray that God would do a work in the hearts of people here for that. Um And then, uh, yeah, you can just pray for my family. Like life is full on and tiring with. <laughs> Three little ones, but we are so thankful to God for them. Um, But pray that God would sustain and keep us uh, in our ministry. Thank you.
0: Brilliant. Tom Heesman, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Emmy. Cheers. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Bridge Podcast. If you've got comments, suggestions or questions for us, please feel free to send them in to podcast at bridgechapel.co.uk and we'll respond to all those emails and try and incorporate any suggestions into future shows. To get as many people as possible to hear this podcast, if you like and subscribe to it on your podcast provider, that'll really help. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to you joining us next week on The Bridge Podcast.